Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Judges as we continue our study through this uh, unique book of the Bible. Judges chapter 11 is where we're spending our time this morning. Uh, we're going to look at, in a moment, I'm going to read to you verses 29 down through verse 40. So find Judges 11 verses 29 through 40. If you're new to the Bible, uh, it's not too hard to find. Just go to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and then go forward about seven books, and you'll find yourself in the book of Judges. Judges 11, 29 through 40 is where we're spending our time together this morning. I'm going to read that to you in just a moment. If you don't own a Bible, the good news for you is that there should be one right in front of you in the seat before you in the book rack. Grab that copy of God's Word and find Judges 11 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and begin to learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. So as you're finding Judges 11, let me ask you a question, right? Once you raise your hand, play along, uh, see, see um, the audience participation, right? So how many of you, if you're married in this room this morning, or maybe uh, you have been married, how many of you met your spouse as, uh, excuse me, that's not the way I want to ask it. How many of you are married as the result of a blind date? You want your blind date and... One over here. Okay, you too. Okay, a couple, so a few, a few. So, so, so my wife and I, our marriage, and some of you don't want to admit it, I don't know, but some of my wife and I, our marriage is the result of a blind date. I might have told you this story before. We talked on the phone several times, and, and then after we talked on the phone several times, I, I asked her if she wanted to meet me for lunch, and so we, we arranged a place in the New Orleans area to, to meet for lunch, and, and so I got there first because I'm usually early, and she's not, and so I was there, and, and, and I was waiting. And, and, and as I was waiting for my a future wife to show up, two questions were on my mind. One, is she going to show up? Right? That's a pretty important question. And two, will she have teeth? Right? I mean, <laughs> set the bar pretty low, right? And, and, and thankfully, she showed up, and she not only had teeth, she had hair, and so it was good, right? So she far exceeded my expectations, and here we are, married you know, almost 12 years later, and it's been good. So, 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 you know, there are some blind dates that work out really well and some that do not. And I read a story here recently about a guy, he lived in Holland, and, and, and he was looking for the love of his life. And so when you're looking for the love of your life, where else do you turn but the Internet? And so he turned to the Internet, and he went to several dating sites and, and began an online relationship with this young lady who lived in China. And so they began to communicate back and forth via the internet and, and all those kinds of things. And then, then after some time, after a couple months, uh, he wanted to meet her face to face. And so they agreed to meet in her town in China. He was going to fly in and, and she was going to pick him up at the airport and uh, they were going to live happily ever after or whatever the case may be. So he got his visa work done. He booked the tickets. He sent her the itinerary, uh, told her the day and time to meet him there. And, and so he arrived in the airport, got his bags, went through customs and went to find you know, the, the lady that he had been talking to online and just couldn't find her. Like she was nowhere to be found. And, and so he did what any of us would have done in that situation. He waited. He waited for several hours, and she still didn't show up. Several more hours, 
she still didn't show up. The dude, this is a true story. The dude waited for her to show up in the airport for 10 days, and she never showed up. And during that time, like you or I would, right, I guess, uh, he worried himself sick. So sick, in fact, they had to take him to the hospital because he had dehydrated himself waiting for this woman. Because you can't afford water in an airport. You know that, right? And so, so at any rate, when she was finally tracked down and, 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 and asked the question, why didn't you show up at the airport? Her response was, I didn't think he was seriously coming, right? But I hope we can still be friends. Because why wouldn't you want to be friends? All that to say, you will do some crazy things for the person or the people that you love. You will sacrifice greatly, even your health, for the person or the people that you love. You'll make sacrifices for those you love. But, but, but here's what you won't do. While you'll make sacrifices for the people you love, you won't sacrifice the people you love. You with me? That's what makes this story we're looking at this morning so weird. Jephthah has a daughter. He loves his daughter. But he doesn't make sacrifices of love for his daughter. He literally, in this story, sacrifices his daughter. This may be, my friend, the strangest story in the Bible. If it's not, it's at least top five. This is weird. And, and, and we come to the story, and it really shocks us. Like, why is this even in the Bible? Is this serious? I mean, certainly this can't be true. And, and, and then we wonder, what in the world does this have to do with us? Is there anything in this story for us to, to, to learn from? And absolutely there is. Remember last Sunday, we talked about how to stop growing spiritually. We looked at the end of Gideon's life and, and, and then his son Abimelech as he became the, the king over the people. And we talked about what happens when, when we stop growing spiritually. Now, I'm going to take this odd story this morning. And what I want to show you from this odd story is how we start growing spiritually. Now, I, I know when you read this story, it, it seems like this isn't a story at all about spiritual growth. But just hang with me. Because from this story, I want to show you if you're stagnated in your faith, if you've grown complacent in your walk with Jesus, I want to show you three ways from this story that you can start growing spiritually. Make sense? Take your Bibles. Judges chapter 11, verses 29 through 40. When you find that, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 29, this is what the Bible says. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them uh, from, from Aurora to the neighborhood of Manith, 20 cities, and as far as Abel-Karim with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I've opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. 
And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to a father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Father, what a tragic story. And as we hear this story read to us, so odd and so despicable. But Father, it's your word. We're trusting that in the midst of this strange and odd story that you're going to speak truth to us this morning. And some of us need to hear the truth you're going to speak this morning. Because through this story, you're going to challenge us to grow in Christ's likeness. Through this story, you're going to warn us of some things. And so help us now to listen carefully to what you're saying to us. And as we're listening, help us to respond to your voice this morning in faith and obedience, I ask. That's it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So just review as you're sitting down. You know the cycle. I don't have to tell it to you again because I've told it to you so many times now. But here we are again in the midst of the cycle, right? What happens is that for a season, Israel will do all right because there's a judge that's ruling over them. And as long as the judge is alive, they'll do well. But when the judge dies, the nation will turn back to idolatry. And then as they turn to idolatry, uh, God will send another nation in as a tool of his divine punishment to punish the Israelites for their rebellion against him. And so for years, you'll see the Israelites under oppression and they'll begin to cry out to God. And when they cry out to God, when they've had enough of being oppressed, God will raise up a deliverer, a judge, a warrior who will defeat their enemies and then will rule over them. And then as long as that judge is alive, everything will go well until the judge dies again. And then the cycle starts all over. And so we're in one of those cycles again here in Judges chapter 10. Now, but let me show you a couple of things before we get into the depth of the story. This is really interesting. You look at verse 6, for example, in chapter 10. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. Count them with me, okay? They served the Baals, one. The Asherah, two. The gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Philistines. So you read all of them, right? They were serving the gods of seven different people. Now, among those seven different groups of people, that probably represents a lot of different gods. And so talk about idolatry. I mean, Israel, again, is an idolatry, but they're in it way over their heads. And so God allows the Philistines and the Ammonites to begin to oppress the Israelites. And and what the text tells us is that for 18 years, for 18 years, the Israelites were under the oppression of the Philistines and the Ammonites because of their sin against God. And they finally, like they normally do, uh, they had enough, right? Verse 9, for example, And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So Israel was severely distressed, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, verse 10, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the bells. And then God responds, Didn't I? Haven't I? Haven't I already rescued from this group and that group and this group and that group? Uh, Didn't I already do that? 
and you can't seem to learn your lesson. And look at what God says at the end of verse 13. This is tragic. Therefore, I will save you no more. I, I can't think of any words in Scripture that, that, that are more difficult to take in than those words. And it's just a reminder to us, right, for every one of us in this room, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't belong to Jesus, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, there will be a day where God will save you no more. You understand? That there will be a day that his grace runs out. But the good news is it's not today. You understand? That God says to the Israelites, I will save you no more. But look at what happens. You come down to the very next verse. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us from this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And God became impatient over the misery of Israel. You see what takes place? I mean, it seems like for the very first time in the book, right, that Israel finally gets it. They finally understand uh, the, the, the tragedy of their sin. And it seems as if they repent. God, do whatever you need to do to us. Just deliver us from our enemies. And they put away. They repented. They turned. They stopped for a season following the idols. And they started to serve the Lord. Right? God says, I will save you no more. Then the people of Israel, he means business. They turn. And then God begins to rescue them. Just as a side note before we dive deeper into the story, this is such good news for us because, again, as long as you have breath in your lungs, it is an opportunity for you to experience the grace of God. Right? That's what's going on here. I mean, they don't deserve it. They rebel, but, but they come to their senses. They begin to turn back, and, and God is going to now extend them grace because he's going to rescue them, but in a very strange way. So we get into the story now. In chapter 11 of a particular family. The sons of Gilead. Don't know how many sons they were exactly, but they, they had a brother named Jephthah. The problem is Jephthah's mother was not their mother. Apparently, their father had been with a prostitute. And as a result of being with a prostitute, he had a son by the prostitute named Jephthah. And so imagine the resentment and the anger of the brothers as Jephthah grew up, an illegitimate son, right? And, 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 and as they get older, the brothers say, Jephthah, you've got to go. You don't belong in our family. After all, your mother was a prostitute. You, you, we don't share the same mother. Your mother, I mean, she was terrible. You, you can't be a part of our family. And, and we don't want you to have any of our father's inheritance. So go. Get out of here. And they sent him away. And look at what the Bible says. You come down, for example, and you see in, in verse 3, Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Uh, this is the Bible's polite way of saying that Jephthah became a thug. This is what he did, right? I mean, he, he became, I, I, I think from just understanding the text, a criminal, living among, among a bunch of rebels. A terrible life, away from his family, and certainly away from God. But, sometime later, when, when the sons of Gilead and their area were experiencing oppression and they couldn't bear it anymore, they were looking for someone, a savior, someone who would save them from their enemies, they remember Jephthah. 
I mean, after all, he was worthless to them, but he was a warrior. He could fight. Go get him. Go get Jephthah. Maybe, maybe he can put together an army. Maybe he can put together even an army of those guys he's been hanging around with, those, those thugs he's been associating with, and, and maybe Jephthah can deliver us. And so they go and they get Jephthah. And they tell Jephthah, you come. You lead us. You lead us to victory, and, and you can lead over us. You can be our ruler. And Jephthah says, really? And so this is what happens. Jephthah begins to lead over them. And, and, and at first, Jephthah seems like a pretty smart guy. He, he tries diplomacy. He sends a message to the Ammonites and, and, and essentially says, I'm going to summarize real quick, but he essentially says, hey, why? Why are you coming against us? And the, the king of the Ammonites says, well, because you, you stole our land. Your people, they stole our land. And then Jephthah says, no, we did not. God gave this land to us. And so there's this dialogue back and forth. And essentially, you come down to verse 24, and this is what Jephthah says. Will you not possess what Shemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. In other words, Jephthah says, okay, I hear you. You think we took your land, but we didn't. God gave it to us. And so, listen, why don't you go follow your gods? Whatever your land your gods gives you, you take. And we're going to take the land that our God has given us. Well, that didn't work too well, right? Diplomacy failed. And so now it's time for a battle. Look what the, the passage says. You, you come down and you look, for example, at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Ooh, that's good. I mean, whenever you read that kind of statement, you know it's about to get good, right? Because in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God came upon somebody, you know what happened? Victory. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon you in the Old Testament, it was guaranteed that you were about to see God at work. You were about to experience victory. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. But there's a problem, and, and I know the text doesn't say this explicitly, but, but you can understand this, and you'll understand this as we move forward. Even though the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, Jephthah really has no idea who this God is that he's now serving. I mean, after all, he grew up far away from his brothers, far away from Israel, far away from the people of Yahweh. He doesn't know who God is. But now the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him to use him. Look at what happens. Jephthah said, or excuse me, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return and peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for burnt offering. Strange. And so, so when you begin to read about this passage, what, what Bible commentators have said about these verses, you'll get all kinds of opinions about the vow that Jephthah made. And, and, and some will say things like this, that when Jephthah made that vow, what he expected when he came home was what? An animal to come out. You know, a goat, a sheep, whatever. And that he would offer as a sacrifice. But, but, but let's be honest, right? If you have goats in your house, one, you got a smelly house, and two, goats don't usually come out to greet you, do they? I mean, it's not like a little dog. Or if you have a sheep, I mean, they're pretty stubborn, right? They don't necessarily come out to meet you. I think, I think that when Jephthah makes this statement, I'm making a vow to the Lord that whatever comes out of my house, I am offering as a burnt offering. I think he's intending a human to walk out the door. Whatever comes out to meet me. And I think, and again, this isn't in the text, it's not explicit, but I think, 
that Jephthah is expecting his daughter to come out. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But just think about it. After working all day long, when I go home in the afternoons, you know who greets me at the door? My kids. They'll say, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Right? And here it is. Jephthah's had this victory. God gave him victory over the Ammonites. He comes home. And just like my kids, when I come home, they, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Out the door comes his daughter. And the Bible says, we read it a moment ago, the Bible says that, that, that this daughter, this is his only child. No other kid in the house. She comes out, and she essentially says, Daddy's home. I mean, she's singing and dancing. After all, Daddy's been away for a while, and now Daddy's coming back victorious. We're free from our enemies. I mean, it can't get any better than this. And in that moment, Jephthah realizes what he's done. In that moment, he realizes the tragedy that had occurred. And he tells his daughter, it broke in my heart. He rips his clothes and tells his daughter that he's going to have to fulfill his vow to God to sacrifice her. Now, now, notice, and I don't want to get too far into this before you notice this. Notice in the text now, there's nowhere in the text, right, where God commands this. In fact, God would not command this. You go back over and read the Levitical law, this is against the law of God. You don't sacrifice your child. It's not how you worship Yahweh. God doesn't condone this. But you know the story. His daughter requests a couple months away just to mourn that she would never marry, never have children, to mourn her life. And then she comes back home after being away for a couple months. And Jephthah does it. He fulfills the vow he made to the Lord. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't give us all the gory details. But he sacrifices his only daughter as a burnt offering. And the scripture says, from that day forward, every year, for four days, women would mourn what had happened. Nothing as tragic as sacrificing your own child. And, and really, if you think about it, I mean, uh, there, there's two nagging questions, right? And I, I know you're asking these in your mind because I've asked them in my mind as well as I've thought about this Bible passage. One is, is why in the world? I mean, come on now. I, I know that he was a bit rash, and I, I know he was negotiating with God a bit, but why this particular vow? Why would, would Jephthah say something like, God, whatever comes out my door, my daughter comes out, you give me victory, I'll sacrifice her. Why would he say that? And then the second question, right, God gives him victory. I mean, he's won. That's a good time to go back on your word. I was just kidding about that, God. I didn't mean it. But he doesn't. He actually follows through. You know why he does it? Remember, back in chapter 10, seven different groups of people, the Israelites worshiping, the gods of seven different groups of people. You think about Jephthah, sent away by his brothers, apart from the people of God. I mean, if you think about it, not only Jephthah, but nobody, 
nobody in Israel at this time really knows God. They know enough of him to know that they've messed up and need to turn back to him and start serving the foreign gods or stop serving the foreign gods, right? But do you think they, they were devoted to God? Do you think they were devoted to knowing the law of God? But what they had seen over and over again, because of the influence of the nations on them, what they had seen over and over again were the rituals and the practices of the gods around them. How the people around them served the idols. And you probably know this. One of the ways that people served the gods was by sacrificing their children. In fact, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 21, there was a Moabite king. Who, who, was, who was at war, and, and, and in an attempt to win the war, do you know what he did? He made a child sacrifice. He sacrificed his own son as a burnt offering to the god Shemosh, which we've already read about in this particular passage. So what I think is that the reason why Jephthah made the vow is because that's what he saw everybody else doing. He, he was so influenced by the culture around him. He was so influenced by, by the religions around him that he did not know the God that he claimed to serve. So I'm saying, and let's just be honest. And let's just be honest. There are many of us who are far more influenced by the culture around us than we are the God of all creation. You're experts. Right? You're experts in the culture. You can talk politics all day long. I don't know why you'd want to, but you can, right? You can talk sports all day long. You can talk this, and your, your mind has been inundated by the culture. You know what Dr. Phil says about this. You know what Oprah says about that. You know what your Facebook feed says about this. You know what this article says about that. Your mind has been so shaped by the culture that you can't separate the truth of God's word and the lies that the culture has led you to believe. See what I'm saying? Some of us in this room, we're far, far too much shaped by this culture than we are by the God of all creation. And so, so really, if you think about it, uh, the, the way that we jumpstart our spiritual growth is real simple. We long to be influenced by the Bible more than we are influenced by the culture around us. Because let's be honest. Some of us know. We know all about the culture. We can tell you what was on our Facebook feed last night. We can tell you what happened in the primaries in South Carolina yesterday. We can tell, we've read 15 million articles this week on the coronavirus, and, and, and that's all a big deal, right? We've filled our minds with that stuff this week. But have you filled your mind with Scripture? Because here's reality, and come in real close. You've got to understand this. Whatever you consume the most will ultimately consume you. You understand? Whatever you consume the most will ultimately consume you. It will shape the way you think. It will shape the way you talk. It will shape the choices you make. And listen, I, I want to be gentle with you, but we've got to be honest together. There are men in this room this week that multiple times you've been on the internet by yourself looking at pornography. Don't think for a moment that has not shaped the way you think and the choices you make. Whatever you consume the most, right? whether it's social media, whether it's, it's pornographic material, whatever it is, whatever you consume the most of, it's going to consume you. You see what I'm saying? We give in to the lie that the culture knows what's best for us, 
that the culture is, is, is teaching us and the culture is shaping us. And, and we believe the lie that, that what's out there in this world, whether it's, it's the media or whether it's, it's our influences on the job, we believe that what they're saying to us is far better than what God wants to say to us. And it's simply not true, right? And so listen, if you're going to jumpstart your spiritual growth, You've got to long to be influenced by the Bible more than you're influenced by the culture. And that means you have to have two convictions. One, one is I must know that living God's way really does make life better. Come on, now you know this. You've given yourself over the culture and it hasn't made your life better. You've believed everything Oprah has said and it hasn't made your life better. Right? You've believed every lie that, that CNN or Fox News has told you, and it hasn't made your life, if anything, has made you frustrated. Right? But here's what we know. And there are people around this room that can testify to this over and over again, that God really does make life better. Maybe not easier. He doesn't take away all the challenges. But man, life with God is far better than life apart from God. And I'm just telling you, right? Because I know it to be true in my own life. I can see the difference when I allow myself to be influenced by the world, when I allow myself to consume media that I know isn't best for my heart and soul. I can feel it, how it's shaping me. I can, I can tell the difference in my attitude and, and the way I respond. But when I fill my mind with the things of God, I can tell the difference there as well, right? And so I must know that living God's way really does make life better. And two, I must know the Bible better than my culture. Come on now, really? Makes sense, doesn't it? If we believe that, that God's way really does make life better, then we must know that the Bible is better than my culture. I must know the Bible better than my culture. And let's just be honest. Let's be honest. 35, 40, sometimes on a long-winded 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, kind of halfway listening to a message. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I want you to come back next Sunday. Please do. But let me just tell you, 45 minutes of listening to a message every Sunday versus the hours upon hours upon hours of the culture influencing you, what do you think is going to have more effect on your life? All I'm saying is you need more than me. Oh, you need much more than me, Right? You need more than a 45-minute message each week. You need to be in the Word regularly. So, so I, I told you, if you were in the Life Connection group time earlier, that, man, it's been a crazy week for, for Stacy and, and me because uh, just we got an offer on a house, which meant we had to buy another house or at least put a contract on one, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's been crazy. Just this emotional roller coaster up and down, up and down, trying to get rid of our house and then, and then trying to buy another house. And so we were out looking at houses last Friday because we had like three contracts in two weeks. It was, it was nuts. Our three offers on our house in like two weeks, it was nuts. Like we went months and didn't have much going on, and then all of a sudden, boom, People want a house, which was, was cool. But anyway, that's the story for another day. So, so we were looking for houses, right? Found one online. We rode up, had the curb appeal, and then behind the house, the backyard. And that was one of the major things we were looking for was a backyard for our kids, right? That we have a pretty small yard. I mean, we go out and throw the ball. It goes over the fence. We have to go knock on the neighbor's door and say, we threw the ball in your yard again. Can we get it? All that kind of stuff. But this house, it has twice the yard at least, maybe more than that, right? Maybe three times the size yard, and it backs up to wetlands, trees behind us. Not neighbors who are looking into our business, but trees, right? God's creation is out there, right? And so, 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 man, as I looked at that house, I didn't have to go in it. I knew it. This, this is it. I don't need to see inside. This is the house. Stacy needs to see inside, right? 
And so, so we went inside, looked around. I mean, I'm 100%, 100% all in. We got to live here. This is it. This is it. We got to live here. This is the house. This is the house we got to live in. Stacy was about eh, 85, 90%. And so I told my wife those three words in that moment that every wife longs to hear from her husband. You know what I said, don't you? I'll buy you. Whatever you want. I'll buy you whatever you want, right? Uh, if you need, I mean, because you buy a new house, you got to organize things. And where does this go? Where does that go? I'll buy you new furniture. I'll buy you this. I'll buy you that. Let's just do it. I'll buy you. Guys, two things. One, it worked. Two, I need your prayers because I ain't got no money. I'm not going to be able to deliver my promise, right? But, 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 but here's what I'm getting to, right? That in that moment, I knew what I wanted. And what I was desperately trying to do over the last few days was to influence my wife. Influence, influence. And she bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And she still loves me. And, and for some of you, right? Here's, here's, listen. You've bought it too. Hook, line, and sinker. Because the enemy is so good selling you a bill of lies. And now your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't know up from down. Because for far too long, you've been influenced by the culture more than the Bible. But, but I'm not done there. We got, we got to hurry. So, so if you want to jumpstart your spiritual growth, one, long, right? Long to be influenced by the Bible more than you long to be influenced by culture. But think about this. Long for God's work in you more than you long for God's work through you. Now, think about Jephthah. Who was he? A thug, right? A criminal, he had lived a terrible life. The people beg him to come back, and, and then in verse 29, what happens? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Now, I told you earlier, I don't believe that, that, that Jephthah really had a knowledge of who this God was that was now upon him. I mean, he had spent his whole life, right, uh, being, being influenced by everything around him but the God of all creation. But the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. All that to say, you know this, I don't have to tell you. God will use whoever he wants to accomplish his purpose. And in this particular passage, God uses someone who doesn't even really know him. Now, now follow me. This is where I need you to follow me. Because everyone in this room, I know what we all want. We all want to be used by God. Don't we? We want to be used by God. And, and for us, that's just the ultimate goal. If I can be used by God. And as so we spend hours at the church and hours on mission trips and hours doing this, because after all, we just want to be used by God. So what? What I mean by that, it's a good thing to be used by God. But sometimes God will use you in spite of you instead of because of you. And what I mean by that is simply this, right? That you can be being used by God, but on the inside, still have the heart of an idolater. You can serve all day long. You can uh, teach a small group. You can go on a mission trip, but still on the inside, be as empty as empty can be. Void of any relationship with the God of all creation. Because God, for reasons only known to him, uses who he wants to use in the way that he wants to use in spite of people sometimes. That makes sense to you? And so I'm saying that simply to tell you this. The ultimate goal of your faith is not to simply be used by God. That's wonderful. We all want to be used by God. But the ultimate goal of your faith is not to be used by God, but to be like God. 
That's why Jesus came and died and rose again and placed his spirit within us to sanctify us. That's that big Christian word, which means to make us holy, to make us like the God who saved us. You see what I'm saying? Because here's reality, and I know I don't need to tell you this. I hope that when you come on Sunday mornings, that you hear a pretty good message. You know, I work hard all week long. I study the Bible, and I, I try my best to communicate well on a Sunday morning. I, I hope that when you come on Sunday morning, you get a good message, and you leave saying, man, that was good. That was helpful for me in my walk with Jesus. But listen, while I hope that on a Sunday morning I give you good messages and that you grow from the preaching of God's Word, at the end of the day, what you need more from me than a good message What you need more from me than good communication skills or a funny story here and there, what you need from me more than anything else is not the ability to speak well. What you need from me is to be completely and singularly devoted to Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying? Now, now let me flip that. And what your church needs from you, more than you serving in a life connection group, more than you going on a mission trip, more than you listening to verses in Iwana, more than any of those other ministry opportunities, what we need from you more than anything else is for you to be singularly devoted to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Because reality is, right, you can serve all day long but still have nothing going on in your heart. But when you allow God to work in your heart and when you become singularly devoted to him, how much more effective do you think your service will be when you're focused on growing in Jesus? You see what I'm saying? God is far more interested in who you are becoming in him than what you are doing for him. Because when you are becoming who God wants you to be, oh, my friend, then you will do in the power of the Spirit what God wants you to do. And you will see the kingdom at work in you and through you. God uses Jephthah for sure, but his heart stayed hollow. I mean, after all, he sacrificed his daughter, right? So long for God's work in you more than you long for God's work through you. Finally, one more thing we're done. Long to rely on God's grace more than you rely on your works. I don't need to tell you this because we talk about this all the time, but but, but, but just remember what's going on in the text. Two questions. One, why did Jephthah do it? Why did he make this vow to sacrifice his daughter? I believe the reason why he did it was because he was so influenced by the culture around him and the false worship around him that he was just doing what he saw everybody else do in other religions. That's why he did it. Second question, why did he follow through with it? You know why? Because he was so influenced by the gods of, 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 of the pagans around him. And he was so influenced by their ritualistic worship. Because every religion in the world says what? Do. If you do. If you do, you'll make your God happy. If you do, he'll like you and be pleased with you. And so for Jephthah, in order to make God happy, in order to please God, He had to keep the vow in his mind. And what Jephthah did not know, right, was that God had already extended him grace. God was going to give him victory. Jephthah didn't need to vow a thing. Jephthah didn't need to say to God, God, I'm going to do this for you. If you do this for me, I'm going to do this for you. That's not how it works. God had given Jephthah free grace, and he didn't even know it. And there are still some of us, even in this room, who are trying to impress God. God, look at what I can do. Look at what I've done. Look at this. Is this enough, God? Does this make you happy, God? Look at this, God. 
please accept me, God, because after all, I've served so long and I've done this. And God's saying, stop it. Right? Because reality is, that kind of living is exhausting. And the reality is, is that, that, that God is devoted to you. In spite and regardless of what you've done, he loves you and is committed to you. This is not a relationship where we say, okay, God, I'm going to bring my best and you're going to bring your best to me. We bring nothing to the table and God brings everything in his grace. You see what I'm saying? And so how you jumpstart your spiritual growth is you rely, you rest in the grace of God. You realize that God has done everything for you to bring you into a relationship with himself. And now he is still working in your life, doing everything necessary to grow you in your faith. For some of us this morning, it really is a reminder. Just rest in the good grace of God who loves you. I'm not saying don't serve him. Absolutely we want you to serve him. But with, the, with a heart that says, God, because of what you've done for me, here's my life. Right? Interesting, isn't it? You have Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah was, was rejected by his brothers. And then when his brothers said, hey, we need help, they turned to Jephthah. In some ways, Jephthah sounds like somebody else. In some ways. Jesus. Right? Because Jesus, according to Isaiah 53, was what? Despised and rejected by his brothers. You and me. But here's the difference, Right? We didn't go running after Jesus in our sins, saying, God, come help us. No, 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 no. That's not the way it worked. We had rejected him, and what did Jesus do? He came running after us. Amen? You're a follower of Jesus. That's exactly what happened in your life. Jesus came running after you in his grace. He, gave, he didn't ask, hey, sacrifice your child for me. Or make this sacrifice for me. No, no, no. Jesus, in that sense, is very different than Jephthah. Jesus is the greater judge who went to a cross making a sacrifice for us. He gave his very life for us by dying in our place, taking the punishment of our sins upon himself. Then three days later, rising from the dead so we could be forgiven of our sins and given the gift of eternal life. You see? It's an all an act of God's grace. And this morning, for the very first time, some of us in this room need to rely on the grace of God. Quit trying to impress God. Quit trying to be religious. All that stuff gets you nowhere, but what will get you everywhere is stopping in this moment and saying, God, what I need is the grace that you give me through your son, Jesus Christ. I believe. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again for me, and I'm turning from my sin, and I'm giving my life to you. And for the first time, some of us need to make that decision this morning to give our lives to Jesus. So as we end our time together, the crosses in the back of this room, if you'll go one of those crosses, there'll be someone there who's ready to talk to you and help you begin a relationship with the God of all creation through Jesus Christ. Someone will begin to pray with you and help you to turn from sin and turn to life today. If you'll go to one of these crosses, we are there, ready to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. For the rest of us, follow Jesus. Come on, it's time. It's time. For us to be more influenced by the God of all creation than we are our culture. It's time, right? To stop relying on us and relying on his grace. It's time, is it not? To allow God to do a work in us. So he can do a marvelous work through us. And maybe you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. And I don't know exactly how God is speaking to you, but he is. 
And he's calling you to, to repentance, maybe of repenting of that attitude that has said for so long, I need what the culture offers far more than what Jesus offers. Maybe he's calling you this morning, I don't know, to, to, to begin again this journey of just knowing him through his word. However God is speaking to you now, you respond as you have a time of invitation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for time together in your word. And Father, I pray for every person in this room that they would know this morning your love and grace for them, and they would respond in the way that you're calling them this morning. For that person who's here who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus right now, may that person give his life or her life to you. And Father, for those of us who are followers of yours, help us to long to know you, to be in your word, to be the men and women you've called us to be. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we time invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.